Hi and welcome to History Makers, I'm Matt Prater. Joining us today on the line is Mike Newton-Brown from the Freedom Project, Ending Slavery One Life at a Time. And we're talking to the CEO and co-founder, Mike Newton-Brown. How you doing, buddy? Nice to speak with you, Matt. I am doing well. It's great to catch up with you today. Now, tell us a bit of your story. Where were you born and raised? Uh, born in Sydney and largely raised in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Okay. And did you have a religious upbringing at all? Well, not really through my family, although I went to an Anglican boys' boarding school at the age of nine, a place called Shaw in North Sydney. I was the youngest boarder in fourth grade. And... Um, and so I, it is a church school, and so I was exposed to the Christian faith uh, from that age. And I must say, back in the early 60s, I was born in 61, uh, nominal families would send their kids to Sunday school. So I went to Sunday school, to a Presbyterian Sunday school from the age of five. So I was exposed to the gospel at an early age. And was there a conversion experience for you at some stage? There was. When I was 16, in year 10, I've just had my 40th birthday following Jesus. <laughs> Congratulations! What was Thanks, the mate. what was the uh, experience in, in uh, when you were sixteen? What happened? Well, um, I was uh, I wasn't the smartest. I wasn't the best at sport, but I was in a great social bunch at school. And I noticed one day at lunchtime that there were some guys missing from our group. And I said, "Where are they?" And they said, "Oh, haven't you heard? They're, they're having a Bible study at the bottom of the science building." So it was the end of lunch, and I broke in and I said, "Hi, guys, what's going on?" Uh, I was a bit of a practical joker. They thought I'd come to upset the apple cart, but I was generally interested in what they were what they were doing. And yeah. they asked me some very basic questions. They said, are you a Christian? I said, well, yes. They said, well, how do you know? I said, I don't know. And they said, who's Jesus? I said, oh. And of course, because I'd been to church, I had some answers, but they could see that I didn't really understand the gospel of who Jesus was. They explained the gospel. And after they had done that over a few days, I said, right, well, I'm ready to give my life. I'm, let's go. I want to pray a prayer of repentance and faith. And they said, no. Extraordinary for 16-year-olds. They said, no. And I said, why? And they said, because you don't understand the cost of commitment. Although this is a free gift, you need to be ready to give your life for Jesus, um, just as he gave his life for you. And so um, I, I waited for the conviction of the Spirit over my sin. And so somewhere around a month or two later, in the quiet hours at night, I prayed a prayer of repentance on my knees. And to be honest, Matt, I've got to tell you, uh, the room glowed. And uh, it was a very dramatic experience for me uh, back in spring of 1977. And did everyone notice the change in your life? I, I think they did. Um, I was an instant zealot. I just thought the only reason people aren't Christians is because... They haven't heard the gospel. They haven't heard the message of Jesus' love on the cross, that we're sinners. And if we just repent and have faith in him, our, our earthly lives will change and our eternal destiny will change. 
Um, so I shared the gospel with anyone and everyone. And I was a bit surprised because not everyone responded. As a matter of fact, very few responded positively. And tell us a bit about your call to ministry. How did you get involved in ministry? Well, I, I have felt almost marked in my heart by God since since that age. I mean, the, my, when you meet Jesus and you understand that you're a sinner saved by grace and and that we are here to do God's work, that was a very deep imprint in me by the Holy Spirit uh, from from my first days as a as as a Christian. And so it really then tried to explore what that would look like. How do we go about that? Um, and I was completely unsure how to serve God. Should I go to university and get a degree and go through the normal channels everyone else does? I, 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 I just wasn't sure how to go about that. My hunger to serve the Lord uh, it didn't have any specific direction in the early days. But, um, but that soon changed. <laughs> and what about your career in business? I know you've uh, uh, you know, been involved in business for a long time. What kind of work do you do? So I'm a retailer. I've got half a dozen ladies' shoe shops in Sydney. I'm a latecomer to that. Um, when I got back from the mission field in Africa, I was a faith missionary in Africa, and we got back in the late 90s. Uh, it, other doors into Christian full-time work didn't seem to open. So I started a, a business and I didn't know I was an entrepreneur and God has been very kind. There's been some scary moments through the GFC and I understand what near bankruptcy looks like and um, my faith has been tested many times through business and uh, in many other ways and places. But um, so for the last 20 years, um, I've, I've had a... Um, a retail footwear business. Wow. Um, although that's not the passion of my heart, um, the gospel is and and the plight of humanity. Well, knowing my wife, uh, it must be a license to print money selling women's shoes. <laughs> oh, if only. Um, there's no shortage of footwear in Australia and there's a lot of pressure on prices and margins. Um, but this isn't a business show. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're doing quite well. God has truly blessed us and has been very kind to us um and so we do sell a lot of shoes all right now before we move on to the freedom project let's just backtrack what was the mission work you were doing in africa so i i opened uh, after i went to bible college i i thought i'd become an ordained pastor or minister in the denomination i was in i did that i decided not to do that but to become salt and light in the community and then I joined Wesley Mission and opened Wesley Conference Centre in town in 1991 and worked for the Uniting Church in senior management. Did that for a few years and realised we are so over-resourced for the gospel here in the Western world that God just put on my heart the most needy around the world. And so I remember um, I had organised a missions conference, a bit like... Um, uh, outreach uh, or reach out, and it was called um, Mission Fest, and and uh, for for evangelical mission agencies in at Wesley Mission, in about ninety two or three. And I remember looking at a map and seeing Africa, and where uh, the Sahara met the jungle, where Muslim Arab met 
darker African Christian animus. And I saw Southern Sudan and I thought, I think they're in civil war. And I rang a friend of mine, Keith Black, who was uh, the Australian director of Sudan United Mission, SUM. They were just changing their names to Action Partners. And my wife and I were burdened that we needed to go where there was most human need, where we could care for people practically, but where we could share our faith. So I said, look, I'm an operational manager, uh, senior management with Wesley Mission, but I'm Bible trained and the gospel and preaching the gospel is at the core of my being. If you've got 100,000 refugees that need to be fed, I'm your man, but only if I can do that by sharing the love of Jesus as well. I mean, as if I'd fed 100,000 refugees before. He said, well, that's interesting. Our operations manager in Uganda has just left, and we've had 100,000 refugees from South Sudan who've been bombed by their northern government. They just crossed the border into northern Uganda. We need an operations manager in Uganda immediately. And I said, uh, why don't you fax me the position description? It was pre-internet. And uh, my wife was pregnant with our second child. We got the facts. I looked at the position, position description. I ticked all the boxes. She looked at me and she said, we're going, aren't we? I said, well, that's up to the Lord. We have to raise money and we have to apply and go through the process of being faith missionaries. But long story short, six months later, we were in Kampali, Uganda, and we had our second child over there. We went with a one-year-old and, and uh, we were part of the global evangelical effort to help southern Sudanese. Wow, what an amazing uh, move to make and I bet it was uh, a real satisfying time uh, to be able to just pack up everything and go and serve the Lord, huh? Well, I'd been re- I didn't realise it, but I'd been ready in my heart for ages. A lot of people, a lot of Christians think, I wonder if I'll ever get to the place of giving things up for the Lord so I can serve him. And I just think that should be our starting place. Jesus gave his life for us. We should give our lives for him and yeah. say, and not place any restrictions around what that looks like. Mm. Most of us will get to stay here and love him and serve others here in our own context. But it actually doesn't matter where we are or what the circumstances are. They're largely irrelevant. We think they're really important. We are so soft and security conscious. And I'm not talking about being irresponsible and not taking care of, for me, a young wife. I didn't want to go into a war zone or put my wife and children at risk. I I was acting responsibly. But it's that place of of where where your heart is. Mm. And so it was we were just ready to go and my heart was delighted and it was um there's no safer place to be than the center of God's yeah. will. And that was God's will for us. So we were we were safe as well, let's move on to what you're currently doing with the Freedom Project. Now, sure. you're working in Myanmar, India, and the Philippines, serving yes. over 10,000 vulnerable people each year, and yeah. really compelled by love to end modern slavery. I mean, it really is horrific what's happening in those nations, isn't it? It really is, around the world. I mean, India's got nearly half the world's slaves. We've broken slavery into three sectors. Those that are forced to kill child soldiers... Those who are forced to have sex, and we know about, and uh, the public has become very aware of sexual slavery. And then those who are forced to work, which is the largest component of the 40-plus million slaves in the world today. We work in all three sectors. I think we're one of the only agencies, if not the only one in Australia, that 
works with, with child soldiers in Burma and the Philippines. And look, we're a small agency, uh, and God is very kind to us. Uh, we have a small but a loyal uh, donor base, and we're, it, is a, it is a complete faith exercise. This is a very big evil. I've, I've worked in humanitarian and Christian work now for many decades. And health issues, uh, clean water issues, uh, global poverty, uh, and so on and so forth, they're, they're, they're really big issues for the poorest couple of billion people and most needy couple of billion people around the world. But there is this dark area of injustice where you get this this uh, coincidence and, and confluence of of those that are most marginalised, who are often poor, uneducated, uh, tribally uh, disadvantaged, um, and and often persecuted. That the most vulnerable are the ones who are being trafficked and victimised, and it's growing. These other areas, uh, access to clean water. Um, the reduction of poverty. There has been the hundreds of billions of dollars that the world spends on these issues is making a difference. But when we started seven years ago, there were 27 million slaves globally. And the Global Slavery Index uh, that came out a few months ago now puts that at somewhere between 40 and 46 million. Wow. So it's growing. This is, a, this is double the population of Australia, are modern slaves. Now, if people want to get involved, uh, of course, they can go to your website, thefreedomproject.org. Sure. Uh, is there opportunities for people to volunteer and be involved? Yeah, absolutely. We're looking for ambassadors in churches and schools. Um, we, our projects are not like uh, projects where you can visit your sponsored child. We work clandestinely uh, in, in you know quieter, secluded places where... Uh, there are lots of at-risk people, but we occasionally will take a select group of people uh, to visit some aspects of our project. So there is that uh, available. We're looking for advocates, people that will help up uh, help us uh, stand up for the cause and promote this issue. I think justice uh, is the the issue of the 21st century. Um, and I think that God is a God of justice and he abhors what is going on with the most needy around the world. And we Christians, uh, as biblical, Jesus-loving Christians, should be at the forefront of justice. So the Freedom Project, for me, is a Christian entity looking to be the, the arrow or the, the head of the arrow of a body of supporters and believers. We'll do the heavy lifting, but... We need support. We need an army in the free world supporting us to help those that are enslaved around the world. Mm, it's such an important ministry. I've had the privilege of going to Cambodia and Thailand to visit, yeah. uh, you know, children that have been rescued from slavery, and you know they're teaching these kids to be baristas, and they, they were sewing ballet dresses for a Brisbane ballet company and they were, you know, <laughs> learning these life skills wonderful? so they Isn't could actually, you know, get out of the, the, the horrible, uh, you know, hole that they've been in. And you know what? I just think, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're the near neighbours, Australia here. We're so blessed here in Australia. Sure. And to whom much is given, much is required. We've got to reach out to our neighbours who are, have been involved in this trafficking and do everything we can. And it sounds like you guys are doing just that at the Freedom Project. 
Yeah, look, thank, thanks, Matt. I'm glad you've been and seen firsthand. And there's lots of agencies around the world doing great work. So keep supporting those agencies if, if you do, listeners. Um, but if you're looking for someone to support, then jump on board with us if you're, if you're interested. Um, our projects are absolutely fabulous. We took our first ever group to India last year. Um, we work in a number of slum communities and uh, we've got investigators. We have the only restoration home in Bangalore for, for trafficked women. And what hit me was these 10 people who came away saying, I've heard about what you've done for the last few years. We've been going about seven years now, but I didn't realise your projects were so good. Mm. Um, and that was really nice to hear. Um, you don't have to be big to be effective. And that's why we say ending slavery one life at a time. That is wonderful. Once again, the website is thefreedomproject.org. Mike Newton-Brown, it's been great to talk to you. I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, man. It's my pleasure. If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com. You'll also find links to all of our social media channels and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. History Makers is a faith-based ministry and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater. And my challenge to you now is to go and make history. This year is the 50th anniversary for the Bible League. They're celebrating all that God's done in their ministry and they're praying into all that He's going to do in the next 50 years. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that's at work within us. To Him be the glory of the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. If you'd like to support the Bible League as they reach the generations to come, go to BibleLeague.com.au. Station sponsor.